This morning, we have the privilege of having Dr. Paul Koistra come and open up God's word to us. Uh, Dr. Koistra has been used mightily by God in our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America. Uh, the best thing about him is he started off as a youth pastor. That's what happens. Uh, the best of people start off as youth pastors. Uh, some of us stay in the same church and become lead pastors. He decided to become a professor at Belhaven College. That wasn't good enough. So he had to become a professor at Reformed Theological Seminary. That wasn't good enough. So he had to become the president of Covenant Seminary. Uh, did an amazing job. And for the last 20 years, he has been the uh, president of our uh, mission board, MTW. And God has used him mightily. But what I want you to know about uh, Dr. Koistra is he's an authentic, humble man of God. A man who believes in prayer, a man that believes the gospel is the only power to change us. Uh, it's not about Dr. Koyster, it's about his Savior Jesus, and you're going to see that in a minute. Uh, he's with his wife Sandy, which is great to have Dr. Koyster and Sandy with us, opening up God's word. So welcome. Blessings, Dr. Koyster. Thank you to have you. It's great to be with you. I, I don't like that introduction for this reason. I, you see, the only thing I ever did in a church was a youth pastor, and uh, I don't think they knew that at Covenant Seminary or at Mission of the World. I never told them, and they never figured it out. Uh, so I'm probably the only person ever that was never the senior pastor of a church that became the president of a seminary. Um, but, uh, yes, I've been there 20 years, and uh, if you're looking for a job, they're looking for a new coordinator. And you don't have to go far to get your name on the list because Joe Creech is the chairman of the search committee. So... Number one, you should pray for him, and number two, if you think you can do the job, you should put your name in uh, and uh, tell him that you're inter interested. I want to preach uh, this morning from Acts uh, chapter 1. You know, I, I got the idea for this sermon from this, uh, for this reason. I find a lot of people discouraged about missions. They hear that Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world, and that discourages them. Missionaries come back and report on how things are going uh, on their field, and sometimes they talk about how they're plowing in concrete, and maybe they see a person here saved and a person there. Uh, but, uh, you know, I see people beginning to ask the question, does it work? You know, does the gospel really change? And, and does it change a lot of people? And, and uh, we put a lot of time and effort in, but is the church shrinking? And, and even when we look around in our own country and so on, does it not seem at times like the church is having less influence, and, and uh, there's just a lot of discouraged Christians. I hope I can encourage you this morning from uh, this particular text. We're going to read the first nine verses of Acts uh, chapter 1. It's also in your bulletin. This is the Word of God. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria 
and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a crowd took him out of their sight. Let us pray. Father, we come now before you in worship to examine your word together. We do believe that this is not a book that is simply words on a page. We do believe that this is your living word, living because the Holy Spirit wrote these words in the first place, and the same Holy Spirit is here right now with us. That Spirit, we pray, then will come and apply these words to our hearts, that we might hear from you, that that might be an important part of our worship service. We want it to be as if you were here speaking to us, and we pray for that, and to that end, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this text begins with some words that maybe you think you can skip over, but actually they're mighty important words. It says, in the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. Now, the person writing this, of course, is the man who wrote more words in the New Testament than any other person. Not Paul. Paul wrote more books, but not more words. The man that wrote the most words is Luke. That's because both of his books are large and Paul's books are small. So if you add up all the words, this man wrote more words. And notice what he says. He says, in the first book, I told you everything that Jesus did and taught. And and the part he doesn't uh, give you there because uh, Luke has three nice parts to it is the passion, his death and resurrection. So in the first book, I told you what Jesus did physically while he was here on earth. Now what he's going to tell you is that in this second book, I'm going to tell you what Jesus did after he ascended into heaven. You get that? You see, your Bible may say the Acts. That's the title of this book. My my Bible says the Acts of the Apostles. I really think it should be the Acts of the Lord Jesus Christ through the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what should be the real title for this book. Because you see, Jesus wasn't finished when he left. Not at all. These are the last words of Jesus. The last verse I read was, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a crowd took him out of their sight. These are the very last words of Jesus. Last words are important. I actually at at one time started collecting last words of people. I don't know when I quit, but there are some really amazing ones and some interesting ones and some funny ones. Uh, I, I, I think of G. Gresham Machen. His last words, you know, he, 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 I grew up in northern Minnesota. He, he went to, to, to North Dakota in the middle of wintertime for a Bible uh, conference. You shouldn't do that. Uh, believe me, 30 below, 40 below, that's not a good idea. And he got pneumonia there and he died. His last words supposedly were, thank God for the act of obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. I always loved that because he was about to stand before God. And what was he going to say? It's not me, it's him. It's not my righteousness by which I come before you, but it is the righteousness of your son, his act of obedience which he's given to me. Well, these are the last words of Jesus on this earth. And uh, that's important because what he's really saying is, I am not, in a sense, shutting my work down. I'm not leaving because I'm tired. I'm not leaving because I need a rest, an HMA, a furlough, whatever you call it. I'm not leaving because I've got to get reinforcements. 
I, I, I'm not leaving for any other reason that I'm actually going to rev up the work. I'm not slowing it down or shutting it down. I'm revving it up. Because you see, I'm going to carry on my work by the power of my spirit through you. You see that? Over in John uh, chapter uh, 16, we read these words in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. See, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. And it's going to be just like this. I'm going to be living in you because he's my spirit. He's coming to teach you about me. And I'm going to be able to carry on my ministry then all over the world in places like Vanuatu, you know, through John Patton. You just heard the story of him. Over in chapter 14 of John, he emphasizes this. In, uh, in verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will I do because I'm going to the Father. You ever read those words and kind of scratch your head and say, well, what is Jesus talking about? I'm going to do greater works than Jesus did? You know, Jesus walked on water. Have you tried that lately? Jesus raised people from the dead. Jesus took water and made it into wine. How in the world can he say, you're going to do greater things than me? What he's really saying is, I'm going to do greater things through you. Because when I was here in the flesh, I could minister here, and then I could go over here and I could minister and so on. But I'm going to be ministering all over the world. And literally, that's what's happened. There isn't going to be a place today where the sun comes up or where the sun goes down where they're not Christians. Even in some of the most difficult and hard places. I mean, there are hard places to minister. Tibet, supposedly, you know, the most closed country, there are not a lot of Christians there. You could probably count them, you know, uh, quite easily, but there are Christians there. Because, you see, Satan can't keep the Holy Spirit out of any place. And the gospel is spreading all over the world. And it comes by the power of the Spirit, not by our power. Let me ask you a question. Do you think you could be a missionary The truth is, you are a missionary if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know you can take training for that and so on, and if you wanted to really be good, you know you could take some courses in evangelism. But what I said last night, I meant, for those that were there, you don't need to have a fancy presentation to tell people about Christ. All you got to do is tell them about your best friend and the difference he's made in your life. That's all you got to do. The Holy Spirit will do the rest. The Holy Spirit's the only one that can convict anyone anyhow. You'll notice in the text that we're looking at what, uh, what Jesus says in verse 4, and while staying with them, he ordered them. Notice, that's not a suggestion. It's not just a, a good uh, 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 direction that uh, he wants to give him. It, it's, and he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You know what he's saying? You try to do my work in your own power and strength, you're going to fall flat on your face. 
But if you depend on the Holy Spirit, you're going to be amazed at how God can use even a weak person like you. You know, you just heard that I've been the president of the seminary, I've been the president of this thing for 20 years, and, and I started out as a youth pastor and all. And, and I can tell you, I shared this with somebody yesterday, I mean, I got the job I got at the seminary because they couldn't get anyone else to go, and that's the truth. The, the place was dying, and they asked a bunch of important people, and they all said no. I was the last person standing. That's how I got the job. And God blessed that seminary. And I want to tell you, it wasn't because of the president. It was because of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was because of his spirit that came upon that seminary. It's the same through this church. If God's going to bless this church, it's going to be not because of the great preachers that you have. It's going to be because the Holy Spirit is here. Don't you dare leave Jerusalem until I send the Holy Spirit to you. That's what the Bible says. In verse 8, he goes on to tell us that we shall be what witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, but not until the Holy Spirit has come upon you with power. Now, how do you really receive the Spirit in the first place? Do you have to get all excited, jump up and down, do weird things? I don't think so. And I don't belittle those things either. I have a lot of friends that are charismatics and so on, and I praise God. I praise God because they love Jesus. That's what I praise about. To me, the way you appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit is, number one, to believe that the Holy Spirit exists. Number two, to pray for the Holy Spirit. And I would pray for him for some rather simple things that you think you could do yourself, but you would be surprised If you do them in the power of the Spirit, how different it is. If nothing else, Jesus gets the credit. You don't get the credit. And and then thirdly, act. So believe, pray, and then act. Just act and see what happens. Five years ago at Mission of the World, we began to pray more and more for the Holy Spirit. And uh, we've seen some blessed things happen. Some very blessed things happen. Because... The work on this earth is Christ's work. This is the acts of Christ, continued ministry in the world through his church by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the thing I want you to leave with. Now, what should we expect is going to happen? What's happening in missions today? Is it in fact true that we're losing ground? Uh, That the uh, Islamic church is growing faster? Well, let me explain that. You could say that in a way, just like we used to say, we don't say it anymore because our denomination has hit kind of a plateau, but for 10 years we went around, we shouldn't have done this, we should never brag, but we went around bragging that we're the fastest growing church in the United States. Were we? Depends on what you mean by that. If you go by per capita, yes, we were out growing every other church in the country, but would we have liked to have the numerical growth of the Southern Baptists that are 15 times larger than us? or the Church of God, we would have, let me tell you. Because numerically, they had a lot more people joining their church. It's just we were 15 times smaller, so we were talking about per capita. The Christian church is three times larger than Islam, and more people come to faith. And by the way, most of, and, and many of our people coming to faith are by conversions. Theirs are almost all by birth rate. And... Uh, As I said again, more people are coming to faith. And we're not losing ground, we're gaining ground. 
all over the world. We really are. In spite of what you look around and, and you get a little shaky and a little nervous. Uh, and even if I didn't know that, I would still say it because this idea of missions is not your idea. It's not my idea. It's Jesus' idea. And, and he's not going to fail. When Luke says, oh, Theophilus, what I wrote in the first book, now I'm going to tell you the second book. Let me ask you, do you think he lost in the first book? No, he came and taught and did everything he intended to do. In fact, he died and was resurrected again. He didn't lose, he won. He's going to win just as much in the second book as the first book. Absolutely. And I want to give you a few statistics. I know that statistics can be rather boring, but I'll try to give them to you quickly. But in 100 AD, there were only 181 million people on the earth. Now, that's not very many people. That's all the people on the earth, 181 million people. There were a half a million Christians, which means there was one Christian for every 362 people. Now, we're going to leap ahead 2,000 years to 1900. In 1900, there were 1.62 billion people on the earth. You see what's happening to the world's population? took 5,000 years to get the 1.62 billion people. That's recorded history. But there are 40 million Christians, so that's one Christian for every 40 people. Now we're only going to jump ahead 80 years, and the world's population has now gotten to 4.5 billion. Notice that. It took 5,000 years to get to 1.6. It only took 80 years to get to 4.5. But there are 275 million Christians. That's one Christian for every nine people. If we jump ahead to 2004, not many years at all, when you think about it, you, you're, I know you're not going to be surprised. The world's population has leaped to 6.2 billion. You know, if you think there are a lot of people out here in Interstate 4, and you probably think it's just because a bunch of snowbirds came down here, well, yeah, that's part of it. But the other part of it is there's just a lot more people on this earth. A lot more people. But... By this time, there's 677 million Christians. That's one Christian for every nine people. By the way, a year ago, last November, the world's population crossed 7 billion. I didn't think I'd ever see it in my lifetime, and it did it a year ago, last uh, November. 7 billion people on the earth. I don't know the numbers for the church now, but I wouldn't be surprised if we're down to one Christian for every eight people or seven people even. would not surprise me at all, because you see what has happened is while the world's population has exploded and it has fourfold, the, world's po- the church's population has increased tenfold. Why? It's not because of us, it's because of Christ, it's because it's His plan. By the way, these are people who, you know, have in some way really given their, their life to Christ. We're not talking about everybody that claims to be a Christian on the earth. If you did that, you know what it would be? It would be one in three. One out of every three people on the earth claims to be a Christian, but we know that every Italian's not, but they think because they were baptized in the church, married in the church, can be buried in the church, they're a Christian. No, we're talking about people who take the gospel seriously. One in nine. Why is that? Because it's Christ's plan. He's not going to lose. He's going to win. He's the creator of all the universe. He can't lose. You heard the story of John Patton by this marvelous story. In fact, I thought I should go home after listening to that. Uh, But, uh, you know, John Patton went to what was, he he named it the new 
Hebrides, because of Scotland, of course, and uh, it was hard work, and he slugged it out for a long time, but after being there 30 years, he, just about everyone came to faith. In fact, 40% of the people in Vanuatu today, because they changed the name, 40% of the people are Presbyterians. But there was a group of people on Tana Island, the island where he started, that uh, about 1936 or 35 decided, you know, this is a white man's religion. We shouldn't be Christians. We should go back to our old ways, superstition, all of that. And they did, and it became known as the John from Cargo Cult. Now, it's called the Cargo Cult because right after they did all of this, and they believed the gods were going to bless them for abandoning Christianity and going back to their old ways, we sent 100,000 men there to uh, stage the invasion of the South Pacific during the Second World War. Well, when you come with that much men and that much uh, machinery and everything, when you leave, you leave a lot of junk, you know, tanks and trucks and air conditioners, refrigerators and so on. And they said, see, it worked. And literally, no kidding, if you doubt me, you can go home this afternoon and you don't even have to remember John Frum. Just Google cargo cult and they'll come up and you'll see their pictures and they're marching around in their Navy uniforms. They're pretty rugged, but they make their own uniforms. They have poles that should be guns, you know, and uh, they're, they're out there doing all that exercising, thinking that if they do this enough, another load of cargo will come. But about eight years ago, uh, the man that's ahead of the biggest uh, village there, it's called Sulphur Bay, uh, he got in touch with some of the people on Santos Island, uh, wanted to get his son educated because his son was going to take over. Now, the school in Santos, I've been there. I've actually taught there. It's a Christian school. But he didn't know that, you know. He didn't know much of anything, really. And he sent his son up there for four years. When his son came back, his son was a believer. In fact, his son thought he was a preacher. So his son says to, to dad, can I, can I put a church here in the middle of the village, Sulphur Bay? And his dad says, no way. But you can do it outside of town. And so he did, and one night he had this vision that something bad was going to happen in Sulphur Bay, and he came down and told his dad and the people, you got to get out, something bad's going to happen tonight, and they just thought he was kind of crazy, and uh, while he was down there pleading with the people, the bell up there at the church started ringing. Now, they don't have fancy bells there, I've seen the bells as well, and uh, they're made out of acetylene tanks. You know what I mean with those little tops, and they're about this high? And they just cut off the bottom. They don't even have a rock or something in the middle. They just bang them with a machete. And the bell was ringing. So they sent somebody up there to shut down the bell ringer, and the man came back and said, the bell's ringing, but there's nobody there. Well, these are superstitious people anyhow, so they decided maybe we'd better get out of Sulphur Bay tonight, and they went up and spent the night in the church. That night, the volcano went off, more of a big rumble, broke the dam in this large lake that had acres of water. It came roaring down through the valley and washed Sulphur Bay right out in the ocean. So three years ago, we sent 20 missionaries, men from Vanuatu that we trained in there. There are now 21 churches on Tana Island, 21 churches. Several thousand people have come out of the cargo cult you know, I, I, I got to tell you, this is the way I look at it, because I do believe God's a covenant God. These people forgot God, but God didn't forget them. And he sent his Holy Spirit. 
Some little, I told that story some time ago. A little boy came up and said, who was ringing the bell? Was it God? Yeah. God was at work. Last year, we started working in Nepal. In 1956, you could count the number of Christians as less than 200. Churches that actually exist, three in the whole country. Today, there are 1.2 million Christians in Nepal. And uh, it's just amazing to see what God has done. You can't keep up with God, really, in many ways. And uh, we could talk about China. You know about that. Um, some, some people talk about as many as 10,000 people coming to faith every day in China. Um, nobody knows how many Christians. Korea, South Korea, the influence of the church there is, is tremendous. Tremendous. Um, and, uh, uh, well, West Africa, I'll finish with that story. But in West Africa... That's it. Those, all those countries, uh, uh, Ivory Coast, Ghana, um, Senegal, Togo, Burkina Faso, so on. Those are, those are all Muslim countries. So can't have any revival there, right? Well, we had a missionary there. His name was Frank. About as laid back a man as I've ever met. And he was trying to plant this church in, in Dakar, and it was going to be what he called a... a um, Flagship church, and then they'd hive churches off that. And it wasn't very, working very well at all, I'll tell you. And, but a young lady came in from a village, came to faith, joined the church. And she came to see Frank one day, and she said, you know, I'm 21. She, I think she's a little older, actually. But she said, you know, uh, Pastor Frank, I, my dad says it's time for me to get married. And in that part of the world, you don't decide um, uh, who you're going to marry. Your dad does. And he had decided that Elizabeth was going to marry an older uncle, 30 years older, who was a witch doctor on top of it. So she said, Pastor Frank, will you go out and talk my dad out of this? And Frank has told me, I didn't want to go out there. I knew that was hopeless. But what are you going to do when a young lady asks you? So he heads out, and on the way, he stops at another village, and thinking he could get some of her relatives in that village on his side, maybe that would be helpful when he got to his uh, to her father's village, and they didn't want to talk to him about that, but they were about to offer this sacrifice in some kind of animistic ritual, and, and laid back old Frank, that just agitated him. He said, look, before you do this and kill that animal, could I talk to you all? Well, in this part of the world, uh, even if you're their enemy, uh, they roll out the red carpet for you when you're there. So um, he said, well, get the elders together. I, I got something to tell you. So he gets the elders together. They get, they get the elders together, and Frank preaches the gospel to them, and just like that, they all became Christians. He went off to Elizabeth's village, and Elizabeth's father met him at the, at the uh, edge of the village and said, I know why you're here, and I want to tell you something. I've decided not to force my daughter in that marriage. He didn't even need to go. But because of what had happened in the last village, Frank says, look, I've got something to tell you, and could you get the elders together? And Because and, uh, I'd like to tell them something. They got all the elders together, Frank preached the gospel, they all became Christians just like that. I want to tell you something. Old skeptical cloister, you know. I sent a man named Paul Miners out there to check on this story because I thought that's just too good to be true. 
I shouldn't have because I've read the Bible. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe that we're going to do greater things in Christ because he's going to do them through us. But I sent somebody out there to check it out. Guess what? He came back and he said, you won't believe it. It spread to a third village without any missionary. And the man that took my job at the seminary went out about five years later. And I said to him, isn't that amazing? It has spread to three villages just like that over, you know, instantly. He said, it, it isn't three villages. And I thought, oh, boy. He said, it's spread to 15 villages. Now we're several years down the road, and it's spread to several countries. Several countries. And we have over 100 men training to be pastors, church planters in these Muslim countries. You see, you, when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit with my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world, that's the promise of God. And that's what God has called us to. We're involved in the most exciting thing you can be involved in at all, and that is we are the instruments of Christ while he works in this world. Christ came into this broken, lost world to begin the work of restoration, to bring people to faith, to connect them with God. And one day he's coming again. And when he comes again... Everything will be renewed. But we're part of that process now. Just like Abraham and, and uh, David and uh, Jeremiah of the Old Testament, like the apostles of the New Testament, we're part of that. Christ has a plan, a plan which he is bringing to fruition. He's brought you to faith. And he is saying to all of us and to the church, I have chosen you as my children, but also my instruments. And you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Our God has a worldview. And we're to have a worldview as well. Let us pray. Father in heaven, The things we read in the Bible really do kind of overwhelm us. If we read them carefully and see what is happening, we do see that this kind of, well, it's just kind of a gentle introduction to this book of Acts. When we grasp its significance, we realize that, in fact, Jesus is not in any way slowing down the work. He's revving it up. And... uh, Father, I have to believe it's just going to keep picking up speed until he comes again. We want to be part of that work. We've heard you say we will do greater things than Christ did because he would work through us. Will you make that a reality in us as your children in this church, your church, all around the world? We pray this and ask this in Christ's name. Amen.